0: Hello everybody. I hope everybody's doing well. It's a long time in the running. I'm telling you the Return of D Nation's podcast. I'm so excited. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Dorian Rogers and I'm just your friendly neighborhood podcaster. I'm just talking about, again, what's going on within our communities, especially from a lens of younger generations. And I I cringe whenever I say younger generations, because how do you define that? You know, because I'm just your 21-year-old college student on the eastern shore of Maryland. But, of course, experiences range. And I want to make sure that I emphasize that because, again, this podcast is a hub for everyone. You know, I want to make sure that I am articulating as best as possible, you know, just the experiences that not only myself, but other people are going through so that we can continue To remind each other, not just myself reminding you, but you reminding me, you know, we remind each other that we need to continue to persevere, especially to make our communities, our schools, our public offices, our nation, our world, a more diverse, equitable, accessible, and inclusive place for all peoples. But of course, we fail to recognize the importance and the impact of Black excellence, because Black excellence is something that has been going on for well past our generations and I want to make sure that I emphasize that because you know of course black excellence starts with me it starts with you it starts with us but it's not because we're starting it no 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 we're continuing to advance the work that our ancestors have laid down for us to ensure that we can provide for the next generation laying the foundation for the next generation and I hope you remember that that being said A little bit about myself, for those of you who may not know me. I, like I said, am a college student on the eastern shore of Maryland, Salisbury University, be precise. I grew up in Montgomery County, Maryland. For those of you who may be from MoCo, I'm from Clarksburg, so that's the western part of of Maryland. Forgive me, my geography skills are off, so I tend to be more precise than that. I have a double major of political science, international studies with a history minor. I do all those fun things. And I'm pretty involved on my college campus. You know, I do a lot of things. I I like to dibble and dabble. But the one thing I didn't want to do is to just be bored. I wanted to be able to not only amplify the voices of other people, but to bring action and change to communities to ensure that people's lives were better in the ways that they wanted it to be better, not just because, you know, I felt like it needed to be better. No, because, again, that's what a community is about. How can we amplify each other's voices? So with that in mind, why did I create this podcast? Well, quite frankly, I always wanted to write a book. You know, I feel as though writing a book, when you you think about it, especially from the mental aspect, it's so much because, you know, of course, you have to go pages on pages, paragraphs on paragraphs, sections on sections, citations on citations. But again, you have to make sure that you set a goal because I personally think that each and every one of you that are listening should definitely publish a book, even if you're not the most involved person. Even if your career is not on social advocacy, social justice, those, those, those things, write a book. Because again, you're, you're leaving an impact on your legacy for people to read up on. And I, I always tell people this, you never know who looks to you for inspiration, who looks to you as a way to uplift themselves. It looks to you to continue to persevere when all seems lost. So please consider writing a book. And that's, that's a big reason why I wanted to write. And also, I wanted to build, again, that hub for people, like-minded individuals who wanted to continue to feel empowered, to continue to, and this is something that I learned from one of my own predecessors from one of my organizations, you know, continuing to fight the good fight, as you may say. One thing, you know, I I definitely want you all to know is in order to fight the good fight, you need to make sure that you are not only prioritizing yourself, and we'll talk about this in plenty of episodes, and I want to make sure that I emphasize it on every single episode, but you got to make sure that you take care of yourself because you can't take care of others if you're not taking care of yourself, especially with all the fatigue, and that's the theme of this episode. Now, I also wanted to make it clear that one thing I want to emphasize in not only this episode, but every episode, and this is one thing that I've learned from one of my predecessors, is advocacy is a long and lonely road. There's going to be times where people are going to, you know, push you to the side. They're going to tokenize you. They're going to alienate you, dehumanize you, make you feel as though the work that you are doing does not matter. Well, I'm going to be, I may be the first to tell you this, I may just be a, a bug in your ear, but do not be deterred at all. I'm gonna say this again do not be deterred. Continue to persevere with the mindset that you are providing a foundation. For the next generation of students of all backgrounds to have a home away from home and that's something that i've learned coming to salisbury university is that that home away from home contributes to the overall success of all students especially not as an institution of selective learning but as an institution of higher learning because what we're supposed to do with the institution of higher learning and the knowledge that it upholds is how can we apply those things to our communities to make a more diverse equitable accessible and inclusive place and I'm no preacher, and I want to make that clear. This formula that we talk about, this formula of of excellence, this formula of applying our actions to our words, it's within our diaspora as a people that has, you know, you gotta keep in mind this 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 mindset, this formula, this spirit has been stripped and robbed of us as human beings for generations, especially when we're talking about the place, the cultural and systemic inequities that have been implanted to to ensure that Black people are an element of submission. However, we have to keep in mind that that's not just in the form of physical, that includes our history and how our history is being told and the whitewashing that takes place not only within our communities, not only within our public offices, but within our schools. Our very meaning of life within the systems that impact our ability to hold economic power, to impact our opportunity to vote, to ensure our opportunity to equal access. And access is a very important word because, again, when we talk about intersectionality, how is limiting access preventing equity and equality? But on top of that, reflecting on the notion that a system cannot be broken if the system is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, which is to suppress the very people that have built it. Again, these systems are not broken. No, 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 these systems operate in the way that it is operating. But in addition, it mutates and it carries through. And we need to hold ourselves accountable, not only as Americans, but as human beings, to ensure that we are amplifying the voices of all peoples. Because one thing that you will know from not only myself, but the mission and the message that I send It's not only that not all black people think alike, but again, you have an intersectionality that applies to our peoples. Because again, as a black male, it is my duty to ensure that I am amplifying the voices of black women who continue to be placed in a level of submission, not only by black men but by other people, especially when we're talking about the patriarchy, when we're talking about the sexism, when we talk about the homophobia that may be applied when it comes to women within the LGBTQIA community or males that are in the LGBTQIA community, but women with disabilities. Again, the intersectional components that make us unique. And again, is more of an emphasis for us to continue to amplify the voices of others. That is why it's crucial that we do not just advocate for one inequity and we need to address those inequities, but for all inequities, for all injustices. Because like Martin Luther King said, we are not free until all people are free. And I want to paraphrase that. I don't want to quote and quote, because again, I don't like when people, you know, pick and choose which Martin Luther King quotes they want to use. Uh, So please forgive me, bear with me. But ultimately, the vision that I speak to is to utilize black excellence to ensure that it is emphasized within our education so that we can continue to educate inform and empower people of all backgrounds to build a more conscious society for all peoples and that is not something that happens overnight The one thing that you'll know about me and i will emphasize this to the day i die and hopefully that's 100 years from now fingers crossed you know lord let me see it but it does not happen overnight but we need to continue to remain consistent and conscious in doing so and i'm assuming that the people that are listening to this are continuing to persevere in the works that they do to bring change to their communities and if not that is okay because there's always a start and of course that requires us to ask ourselves are we prepared to be vulnerable are we prepared to be uncomfortable and are we prepared to do whatever it takes to bring change to our communities especially when we're reflecting on the very existence of Black excellence. So, with all that in mind, I just want y'all to think about something before we we really talk about our topic today. What does fatigue mean to you? Now, fatigue, you know, and, and one of my good friends told me about this, and she will always have a special place in my heart, because literally she's a lot more involved than I am. She literally does everything on our campus, And on top of that, she has a level of being humble where I have the utmost respect and honor for and I'll literally do anything for her. You know, she always made sure that she emphasized mental health. You know, I, I know when, you know, and again, providing that foundation for the next generation, she would always tell students in the things that she would do, especially new students, always prioritize your mental health. And, you know, I'm not exaggerating, like every session... I've been in with her, she would emphasize that to new students. And that's incredible because, again, we fail to recognize how to address fatigue in mental health. And I want to make sure I do a specific episode to mental health, especially how it applies to our communities and the need for resources for mental health. So it's not a notion of being fixed more so, but a notion that should be normalized. Moreover, with that in mind, fatigue is a very tricky thing that we all deal with individually. However, the commonality that we all hold is how can we as a people continue to utilize resources to ensure that we can address those fatigues? Because we cannot cure it more so, but we can find ways to deal with it. One thing that I struggle with as a student leader is whenever people would ask me, What do you do when, you know, to relieve that fatigue that you face, especially as a Black student on the eastern shore of Maryland that is advocating for various things that people just don't seem to get? And I always trip up because in my mind, I'm just like, well, do I say I play video games? I mean, yeah, I play Madden occasionally. Yeah, I play Call of Duty occasionally. But other than that, I mean, that's it. I mean, you know, and I don't got the money to travel. Well, so-so, kind of. But... You know, what do you do? And I always trip up on that and I I feel bad because it's just like the fatigue really just, it keeps me in a hole that just, it, it makes me feel as though I'm stuck, a feeling of being stuck. It's as if I can't rest knowing that the fatigue and the frustration that I face, not only as a black student, but as a black student involved on campus, it's applied to everything that's going on on our campus. You know, I I feel as though in our nation, quite frankly, you know, I feel as though as a black peoples, when we talk about fatigue, we're always cast in some, in some shadow or, 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 or curtain of, of tokenism and how we are always cradled in a sense from, from white people about how, you know, when we face fatigue, it has to be from a, oh, well, how does it feel to be black? Or, oh, it must suck to be black. Or, oh, you know, don't worry, we have one black person on this group or that group. And overall, the fatigue, people barely scratch the surface because if you really get to the depths of fatigue, especially within the black diaspora, you realize not only how unique it is, but how realistically the ever-flowing notion that change has not come to our system to ensure Black people can feel safe, comfortable, and empowered to do the things that they can do in this nation safely is nothing short of a reality because, again, our system does not protect us as a people. You know, I saw on social media um, the death of Tyree Williams and I want to give condolences to his family because, again, it's another situation where a young Black man was taken from this earth through senseless violence by the people that are swore to protect us, the very existence of our law enforcement. And, and do not get me wrong, you know, I, I feel as though when social media is utilized, you see things very delayed you know, especially when things happen, there's always a, a, a delay in which you receive that information. Yes, I recognize that, but it's a never ending cycle where our young black men and women are being taken from this earth and young mothers and fathers have to bury their child because again, their color of their skin. And one thing that my dad always tells me is you are always DWB, driving while black. In this situation, I, I want to give more context, and I, I encourage you to do your research, but what happened was Tyree Williams was asleep on his couch in his apartment, and the police were looking for another suspect, and of course, they knock on the wrong door, they bang down the wrong door, they throw a flashbang in there, and they immediately eliminate the kid. They killed him in his sleep, and apparently, from what I understand, excuse me, um, when, what happened was Um, They shot him when he was on the couch. And, you know, they tried to villainize him for for all these other charges that he would have been facing, even though that wasn't the person they were looking for. And it's just, again, how many of us do they have to kill for people to understand that black people are being targeted in this nation? I I can't emphasize that enough. And and I'm sorry for stuttering because I, I personally have trouble continuing to decipher the reality in which I can comfortably go outside my house or my apartment without the off chance that I will be gunned down by law enforcement. And again, that'll be another topic. But with that in mind, I I can't help but again, feel as though our system is failing us knowing that there has yet to be major reform when it comes to again accountability now please uh, don't get me wrong again i feel as though it's a more complex issue when you talk about reform within the police i get that i recognize that because you know you have people with various opinions i personally believe that we need to look deeper into the allocation of resources when it comes to police departments instead of just broadly labeling defund the police because again when you say defund the police strategically and you're putting yourself in the shoes of police departments and and police advocates they're going to add they're going to illustrate the notion that funding is being taken away by again the marketing perspective the outreach perspective so when they don't show those images of again that community building, they're going to automatically say that's due to, quote unquote, defunding the police. So we need to get more involved when it comes to the specific allocations of specific budgets within police departments. So where is the money going within the police departments? Moreover, again, that's another topic. But again, it it, it still baffles me that, again, we have yet to address this as a system To be more specific, actually, in more specific cases, and I'm sorry for reiterating the same words, but I also think about Emmett Till. Now, I know you guys, and again, when we talk about education and we talk about how the fatigue of not being able to learn about the history of our peoples, but then also the traumatizing reality of what Black people had to go through, especially within this nation, Emmett Till, was lynched a young teenager was lynched down south by a group of white males for whistling at a white woman and again this this teenager wasn't just killed he was lynched he was beaten he was shot he was hung he was mutilated he was drowned and the reason why I want to describe these things is because not only did his mother decided to show the world what they did to her little boy and that really ignited the civil rights era that we all study or the 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 civil rights era that people seem to cover most of the time but moreover ignited congress has yet to pass any anti-lynching bills fully within our senate and our house now i want to get specific so that I'm not, I'm not like, passing around misinformation. And you can do the research for yourself. The Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, better known as H.R. 35, was brought forward. And it's interesting because the House passed it, but when it got to the Senate, there was only one opposition, and that was Rand Paul. And that one opposition tanked the entire bill. Because, as you know, once a bill is brought forth within the House... You know, it then has to, once it's passed, it goes to the Senate, vice versa, and then it's signed by the president. The fact that we have yet to pass this bill and get it implemented, get it signed, but then the Senate has the audacity to give medals of honor to Emmett Till and Mamie Till is disrespectful. And here's why I believe that and adds to the fatigue. It's because, again... You are celebrating the notion that this young teenager was brutally murdered, yet you can't act to ensure that you made it clear within our nation that if you are lynching somebody, you are going to face the utmost penalty because lynching is a brutal act of murder and a hate crime at that, if we really wanted to get technical. If you if the if our country cannot do that, but then you turn around and give medals to him and his mother, that's very disrespectful. Because again, Mamie Till, and again, I, I want to make it clear that I cannot understand how it feels as a black woman to have to bury their child, knowing that he was taken from this earth due to hatred and bigotry. But The fact that you could not deliver on this legislation, but then you give a medal, that's very, very disrespectful and it's nasty. It really is. And I I can only imagine, why is this element of celebrating the lack of inaction being praised when we need to be matching our actions to our words if we truly believe that this is a problem? And this adds to the fatigue again Because the very fatigue that we talk about when it comes to the inaction that we see in protecting, preserving, empowering, and educating all peoples on the Black diaspora shows that we don't seem to matter in this nation. And that means that we have to continue to push to ensure that our presence is known within levels that we seem to take advantage for especially when we're talking about the simple act of voting because again voting isn't just about casting the ballot it's about consciously consistently and engaging with your community to ensure that you continuously vote to ensure that your voice matters i can't tell you how many times and this i I promise this adds to the fatigue i can't tell you how many times people say oh i wish i would have voted in this election i just felt like i didn't know who to vote for just because you didn't vote for, you know, the president, that doesn't mean you can't vote for your city council. That doesn't mean you can't vote for your board of ed. And again, that adds to the fatigue because when you have candidates that continue to enable these elements of, of, of cultural slash systemic racism, especially within our system, the way that they're going to do it is this. They're going to do it within your education. They're going to do it within your ability to access the voting polls. So if you go to jail, you get a felony. There are states where you cannot vote for the rest of your life. There are states that are like that. There are states where they put more restrictions on you. There are states where, you know, you if if you're voting outside in, in 99 degree weather, nobody can bring you water. and That'd be considered a, a, a state crime. Apparently, it's crazy. But again, it shows They know what happens when people interconnect the experience of black excellence, learning their history, their culture, and what it means to build that foundation for the next generation. But in order to do that, systems of oppression enable the ability to add fatigue and to let the fatigue fester. But how are we as a people going to remedy and treat those wounds so we can continue to address these inequities and injustices within our systems. And it it can't just be us. It takes an intersectional body to do so, of course, but we must identify the true history, culture, education, and spirit of our peoples to ensure that we do so effectively. And we continue to push that on for generations to come. Now, we're already at 24 minutes and wow, sorry, but what I wanted to do is halfway through our sessions, I wanted to do audience choice sections. So halfway through the sessions, I want to allow audience members to, to talk about what it is that they wanted to hear on the podcast. And so I just wanted to throw it out there before I get to the next point. But I wanted to talk about Salisbury University and fatigue here, especially for black students and what I've observed and what I personally feel so, for those of you who may not know, Salisbury University is on the East Shore of Maryland. And it's not really a um, big area. You know, it's not really a rural area, but it's definitely not a big area. And, again, when we talk about fatigue, we talk about the experiences of peoples, especially when it comes to the experiences that they endure within their everyday life. And I know I just threw around the word experience twice, forgive me, Um so when we talk about school, when we talk about public office, when we talk about housing security, when we talk about financial empowerment, when we're talking about all these different avenues, and the experience that you face determines, again, how are you able to succeed within the area that you are, and what do you need to succeed and to excel? And I feel as though being out here in Salisbury University I definitely love this institution, and I do not regret choosing it. However, the fatigue that I faced out here as a Black person and listening to other Black people as well, the commonality that we all face is the notion that we continue to show up, we continue to come to the table, yet we have yet to see productive and consistent means of action brought forth by entities that oversee us, whether it's the university, whether it's the city, whether it's the county, in various different avenues, or even organizations at that matter. Like, you know, it, it goes on and on. But again, matching our actions to our words. You know, I, I know when I was a first year student, you know, I I, I felt as though I was pressured to I was already with some pressure because I grew up in a school system where it was pretty diverse. You know, Montgomery County, the area that I was in was pretty diverse. The school that I went to, Clarksburg High, was pretty diverse. But I feel like we always talk about diversity, but we never talk about inclusion. And where I really gained a lot of my fatigue was just feeling like I fit in, especially when it comes to recognizing the experiences that I hold as a black male within America. And... 2016 and 2018, especially that time when I was in high school, like Trump was in office. Everybody was on, on, on high alert. There was tension because, you know, you had people that supported Trump. You had people who hated Trump. And I felt as though, you know, I couldn't be surprised that somebody like Trump was in office because again, my experiences as a black, a black man in America, you know, was the very existence of how Trump got into office. So the people that voted him in are the very people that want to keep us in bondage. So, you know, coming to Salisbury University, I was happy because I felt as though I can, I can make friends, but at the same token, it was hard for me because personally, I, I didn't really feel like I fit in. I, I just felt like the fatigue that I held, um, not only as a black person, but just as the person that I am, I didn't really know who I could make friends with. I didn't really know where to turn to, you know, and quite frankly, you know, although it wasn't as diverse as it could have been, like, I still felt as though the, like, I, I didn't, I didn't really fit in. I I really didn't know how to, to approach people without look like seeming weird or, you know, except, you know, seeming weird or, or, um, how to know what to say or how to get involved. Um, and the university, you know, quite frankly, they did a good job of, of getting people involved and getting people plugged in. And that's exactly what I did. But, As I started to get involved, I really started to see and experience the fatigue of of um, black peoples on this campus. For example, a lot of the resources that were on campus, you know, they were really getting cut in a way where you know that programs were going away. You knew that staff positions were going away. But then when you would ask the people that were in charge, it was as if they would be, oh, well, that's not necessarily true. They're actually gaining money. And again, that's why it's important that you do your research. But this notion that we welcome diversity and inclusion, we we value these things. And it's not just a Salisbury University. It's a national trend with a lot of institutions of higher learning. You got to match your actions to your words because the very fatigue that you are trying to alleviate, you're bringing on. Because when you say those things, when you say you value those things, yet you know, you continue to cut offices, you continue to to whitewash history, you you threaten the very notion of teaching the black diaspora and the experiences of those, um, through through again this notion of critical race theory, which people especially people who who are closed minded are quick to say, Oh, I don't want my child learning this, you know, it adds to the fatigue because I don't know who I am. I, I, I really don't. It's like I don't expect to be Martin Luther King Jr. I don't expect to be Harriet Tubman. I don't expect to be Rosa Parks. I don't expect to be Malcolm X. I expect to be Dorian Rogers. But given the works that not only they did, but the average day people that continue to stand up against oppression and inequity and injustice, how can I continue to keep that legacy alive and to ensure that we are again laying a foundation for the next generation? And you know, my freshman year, you know, I got involved with our Student Government Association. I I was a senator within, the, the of course, the group that was in charge of diversity and inclusion. And, you know, talking to students, you know, at the time, I was very, and I wouldn't call myself naive, because there's nothing wrong with communication. However, I came from the mindset that why don't we just come to the table and talk about these things? And it's ironic, because Again, the very organization that I'm in currently that I serve as president as, you know, I'm looking at it from a different perspective now. But at the time, why can't we come to the table and talk? But what I learned, and again, this, this contributes to the fatigue, because when you talk about fatigue, you're talking about, again, the experiences of people within the avenues that allow people to live the lives that they do and how they can succeed and excel through an equitable and accessible lens, that is communication can only get you but so far because if you continue to communicate the same needs that you continue to experience and the needs that are are crucial to creating an inclusive equitable and accessible accessible campus or community or society is not being met what's the point in communicating now don't get me wrong always communicate but you have to build and you know again i don't i don't mean to go off on many different directions but it can be very stressful to continue to have to articulate that because again you are going through it you are working you are going through classes you are joining organizations you are experiencing things that people don't want to talk about i know my first year you know I felt as though I've met so many Trump supporters and it got to the point where I was just like, oh, let me guess, you're a Trump supporter. And that's, that's not good of me, tsk tsk on me. You know, I shouldn't assume that people are Trump supporters. But again, they clam up whenever they hear the word diversity inclusion. They clam up wherever they hear the notion that, you know, again, Black peoples, the inequities and injustices that Black people face, they cringe at that. And so you have to ask, is the fatigue that you go through really noted. And here's the cherry on top. When those very people that are in charge asks this question, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard it before whether it was through major events that have happened on your campuses. I know for us we had a vandalism and this is where I've heard it. The simple notion of we value our students here. This is a welcoming campus community. We want to hear all students concerns. I'm sure you've heard one of those things. Let me tell you something. If you really want to add force to a fire, that's the way to go. Especially when the continued recommendations, the continued concerns, the continued things that are communicated are the very things that are not leading to those elements. It shows a contradiction. And I may not make sense now, but I definitely want you to rewind if if you need to rewind. Again, it's a contradiction. Because when you say something and you don't match your actions to your words, how do you expect people to believe you? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'll let you finish the rest. Now, with that being said, I wanted to go to audience choice. So... And sorry, I wrote this down on a piece of paper. so I want to make sure that I get it right. So I only had one question this time. But, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. It doesn't have to be, like, multiple questions. but So I was just asked how my experience was... Okay, so how my experience was at Salisbury University, given fatigue. Um, so, I mean, I guess this is a perfect topic, I guess. So, ultimately, I feel as though, you know, again, for me, like... I had a hard time really fitting in my freshman year. Don't get me wrong. Again, like I really chose Salisbury University because I really love this campus. Like, I, no, 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 no disrespect, no nothing. Like I really do love this campus, and I really feel like I've grown and grown out of my shell. However, um, the fatigue that I faced at this university is split up into multiple categories. So, like, I feel as though it split up into. My academics, so what's going on in the classroom, I feel like it's split up between my involvement. So, like, I'm involved in many organizations. Um, so I was involved in their student government. I was involved in their, their uh, in other clubs as well, in their NLACP, et cetera. Like, you know, of course, there was adversity. Of course, there was fatigue. Of course, there was inequities and injustices. Um, and that incorporates a lot of other things within that. And then I think the third would probably break off into employment maybe, because, like, I I was an RA, um, I was an RA and an OL, I mean, like, um, yeah, yeah, we'll say that, so, you know, ultimately, just to simplify this, so I feel as though, again, for me, I started off as a freshman in SJ. I really wanted to make an impact within my community and I really wanted to get involved with like-minded individuals to make a change. And I'm, I'm going to keep it 100 with y'all. Like when I first joined SGA, I was very closed off because I felt as though the first impression that I got was nepotism. And for those of you who, you know, like, why are you using the word nepotism? Are they, are they all related? No, they're not all related. But like in the context that there's a lot of close, close relationships. And for me, I'm not saying that everybody has to be, like, office, like, set up, like, it has to be, like, an actual, actual, like, office, but I felt as though it was more personal over professionalism, so, again, when it was needed for, like, those hard conversations, especially for, again, the things that we just talked about, were we really ready for that? Now, um, as a senator, you know, because, like, you know, you, you don't just start off with, you know, all the, you know all the things you you know you're you know you have to start somewhere i was a senator within again the group that advocated for d n i diversity and inclusion so um my group in particular you know we we did some good work you know we we put on a um a event for a fashion event we also put on like this uh a uh, uh international day where like we had different tablings it was really fun and then you know i got a little bit more ambitious and i created my own event um for um Deaf culture, uh, Deaf with a capital D, um, and and how, you know, we stigmatize the Deaf deaf, uh, culture that really is attached to Deaf people, and how, again, again, intersectionality, and how we can interconnect that within our SU community. And, you know, that that was really eye-opening for me, because then again, I can really start to lens in on intersectionality before I even knew the word. I didn't learn the word intersectionality until... Uh, that next year, when I was uh, elected as their uh, director for DNI. And so, you know, with all that being said, the fatigue that I really faced, it really started to kick off my spring semester because, again, that nepotism, you know, tokenizing the notion of black involvement, people, black people attesting to diversity and inclusion issues, diversity and inclusion inequities, you know, p- do people really grasp it? Um, it really started to take off my sophomore year when I was in that director position because we had vandalisms that went down and you had a lot of people. And I'm, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but we had a lot of people who really just downplayed it. They really didn't care. But then when, you know, they made the Sandy Hook reference, that's when everybody really seemed to care when everybody's life was at risk. But then when they they were simply going after black people, it was really just like a uh a, a, a side glare. You know, people didn't really want to talk about it. They didn't really seem to be worried about it. And, you know, that was a lot of the things that a lot of students of color were talking about, were very upset about. And, you know, again, the administration downplayed it until they couldn't anymore. And that's when we really got some momentum. But, um, you know, I I felt as though within that realm, in SGA, how and I'm I'm sorry I'm stuttering because like I, I still it's it's still it's still a thing that I don't regret. I do not regret joining that organization. It really formed me into the person that I am, but it does present an element of heartbreak because there's the same cycle that continues to move forward and it's leading them closer and closer to utmost destruction. But I felt as though I my voice didn't matter. It was really fading. And I'm a person where I'll continue to fight until I ensure that everybody has what they want to be included, to be have access, to have equitable and accessible means, you know. But I felt as though my voice didn't matter and the work that I was doing was somewhat being exploited. Like, I don't know how to describe it. And it had a lot of fatigue on my Mentals because there'd be times Where I'd be like This is gonna happen we need to brace For this we need to prepare we need to look into this And it would just be downplayed and I'm Just like what am I doing wrong Like I'm letting people down What am I gonna do to ensure That this message gets across Within my own organization so that we Are you know doing what we gotta do To really represent all People's but I, I guess the fatigue that I really held, it was, I just felt like I failed people, especially black people, especially people of multicultural backgrounds. And again, that contributes to the fatigue because I didn't know how to, to process that, you know, and I, I broke down. There'd be times where I would break down and I remember when the vandalisms happened and, um, my boss, cause I was also a resident assistant. Um, he asked if I could give more information from an administrative perspective, since I was in those meetings with those administrators, administrators, and you know, I did it and I just felt like, I just felt numb and I just had to go to my car and I called my brother and I just broke down. Like I, I really broke down sobbing cause I just didn't know how much more I could take because I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders, and. And I didn't want to let anybody down, especially knowing that there was already inequities and the offices that were supposed to be there to support us were being taken away and cut. And I felt like I was just letting people down. And it's interesting because, you know, talking to my brother, he really did listen to me. And it, it really reminded me that the work that I'm doing can help people. That may have to go through this to not only know that they're not alone but to know that the work that they're doing does matter and they don't have to do it from those avenues that can lead them to other directions it's just a stepping stone because again they all interconnect and so i guess there's that i'm sorry i took a lot of time with that one but i guess i knocked out the ra aspect as well and you know i have much love to ras as well i just want to make that clear like ras For your campuses, if y'all have RAs on y'all campuses, if you're listening from other ones, um, definitely like thank your RAs because RAs, they go through a lot. I'm telling you, they go through so much, especially when we talk about RAs of color. Like, there is, people don't want to talk about it, but there's a level of disrespect when it comes to RAs, especially RAs of color. And, you know, I feel as though it's not really acknowledged within not only the departments, but within the university. And, Again, going back to my involvement, there have been times where that has really been questioned, especially when people would be like, oh, well, they signed up to serve in that job. Again, people that are supposed to be representing all students. Moreover, you know, that adds to fatigue because, again, it questions, is the work that I'm really doing, does it really matter? Um, And then finally, academics. So again, as a black male, y'all already know this experience, but y'all know when the one topic that comes up is slavery and everybody looks to the one black person in the room yeah that happened to me plenty of times especially for my first history class that I took at this institution um I felt as though and maybe maybe it's because our professor like made the mistake of having people popcorn not popcorn people to answer questions but of course nobody wanted to raise their hand and I'm just gonna assume that I was just because I was raising my hand a lot but again, I was one of the only black people in the room. I was actually the only black person in the room. And, you know, it just felt, it felt, um, it added more fatigue to it because again, it's like not only were you talking about slavery, which again, it's like, there's so much to the components of the enslavement of black people. But of course you only cover certain avenues, especially when we're talking about transatlantic slave, you only talk about, um, you know, the Underground rail when you should be talking about a lot more elements that make up, again, uh, slavery in addition to, you know, the reconstruction period when you had an influx and it, an it increase, excuse me, an increase, not an influx, an increase in, in black politicians. And of course, how that led to the rise of, uh, hate groups like the KKK, how, you know, the pulling out of union troops, you know, affected the ability for those types of protections and really led to, again, your modern day lynching, you know, those avenues, but then also black excellence. Again, when you're talking about, let's say, for example, the Eastern Shore, when you have prominent black families of the Eastern Shore that have a whole museum and yet we have yet to talk about those things, you know, again that adds to fatigue because apparently my history is only but so much. Meanwhile, we have states that are saying, Oh, well, if a white person does not feel comfortable learning about uh critical race theory, in quotations then, you know, they have the right to not participate or they have a right to not be in the room, you know, or to admit that they don't feel comfortable. It it, it really is a problem. Because again, what you're saying is that Black people and the experiences that Black people continue to endure and have endured do not matter. And that those systems in place do not exist. When in fact, they do. They do. They do. They do, they do. Simple. Um, but other than that, you know, just to close out, because I know I was going on like literally a long rant. and Y'all can kill me in the comments. I'm so sorry. But just keep in mind that when you are having these elements of fatigue, here's a few tips that could help you. First off, like write in your phone goals that you want to set when you are not advocating. So when you are off the clock, and of course, of course, I'm just tricking y'all, you're never off the clock when you're an advocate, but when you all are chilling, when you guys are resting, what are you guys doing to rest? Are you turning off your emails? Because, you know, emails, you know, you always getting dinged 130 times about emails. Are you turning off your emails? Are you, yeah, um, what's it called? Are you deleting social media on your apps while you're off like what are you doing are you turning your phone off altogether like make a list of what you're going to do while you're relaxing so that you can take the time to really manage but then also just take some time to really process the fatigue that you're going through second don't be afraid to utilize uh therapists counselors don't be afraid because like again it's a great tool for you to to set goals for yourself with somebody else Especially in a space where you are not broken. No, do not think that. Because again, we have this mindset that counseling is just for broken people. No, it is normalized. It should be normalized. It needs to be normalized because everybody can benefit from counseling. But utilize a counselor. Like, don't be afraid to utilize a counselor. In addition, don't be afraid to talk to somebody, especially somebody who is an advocate. Like, I know, for example, I talked to one of my good friends who was a big time advocate at this school. And, you know... I feel as though I can comfortably talk to him because I know that he has an idea of the advocacy and the inequities and injustices and the tokenism and the fatigue that you know he faced. Of course, it may be different, but still, there's something that we can empathize to and something that we can relate to. And so I feel more comfortable because I know that he can attest to, again, the fatigue to continue advocating, the, the burnout, the, the, the tiredness, you know, those avenues. And then finally, you know, and this is something that I, I continue to work on myself. And again, by no means this is this podcast perfect. But remember to always recognize the goals and the successes that you have made. You know, I feel as though we always tend to look at what needs to happen but we also need to remember that we need to recognize the victories that we've taken even if it's small victories because again those victories build and as you see that timeline as you see what you're growing to and what what you've accomplished what your group has accomplished what your school has accomplished you know you can utilize that to say, look how far we've come. This is where we need to be. Let's keep pushing. And don't be afraid to, again, talk about those fatigues. Allow people to attest to them because everybody's fatigue is different. By no means do I want to say that all black people think alike because we do not think alike, not one bit. There's still people on our campus that still have this mindset that all black people think alike. And if they pick a lottery number or a ticket, they, they'll automatically get thoughts of all black people's, no, it don't work like that, but just know that it's there, other than that, we're wrapping up in 50 minutes, so thank you for tuning in, we will be back next week, I'm gonna have it released earlier, sorry about it today, I don't know why it didn't work, quite frankly, but we're gonna get it, we're gonna get it right, we're gonna get it right, but next week's episode, it should be released soon, it should be released soon, the title, so I shall see you later.